Welcome to We'll Always Have Paris, a podcast that discusses and dissects culture's best and worst love stories set in the city we call home. I'm Rachel Kapelke-Dale. Each week, Naf Kote Tamarat, Chris Newens, and I will be breaking down everything you need to know about love in three segments. Before we dive in, this podcast does contain explicit language and discusses adult themes. Please listen with care. In this Valentine's Day episode, we'll start out with This Week in Love, a segment that brings you up to date on what's current in the world of romance. Today, a movie star challenges a key moment in Prince Harry's memoir, and Chris tells us about love and sex in posh English schools. Then it's time for The Love Story, where we do a deep dive into a classic Paris-set love story from fact or fiction to figure out how it works and if we buy it. Today, we'll be talking about 1942's Casablanca, the endlessly quotable movie about a love triangle. Topics include why good guys almost finish last, how Ilsa actually gets all those fancy clothes, and what Bogart is wearing under that tuxedo. We'll finish things off, pun intended, with Mary Fuck Kill, a segment in which we turn the classic slumber party game to the characters from our main love story. Let's just say this one gets heated. Thanks for joining us. Now, here's the inaugural episode of We'll Always Have Paris. Welcome to We'll Always Have Paris, a podcast about love stories. I'm Chris Newens, journalist and non-fiction writer. I'm Nafkote Tamarat. I'm the author of The Parking Lot Attendant. And I'm Rachel Kapelke-Dale. I'm the author of The Ballerinas, The Ingenue, and uh, some other stuff. So now it's time for This Week in Love, the segment where we look at what's been trending in the news in terms of love stories. So this week we have the report that Prince Harry, in spare, lied about how he lost his virginity. No. So, yes. <laughs> Wait, I'm legit shocked. What? Allegedly. <laughs> we didn't talk about spare. So, okay, to jog your memories, because we definitely all read slash listened to this audiobook because he's got a sexy voice mm -hmm. and, you know, that's good with us. For verisimilitude, we are going to have our resident Brit, Chris Newins, read the original excerpt mm. from Prince Harry's memoir, Spare. Right, try my best Prince Harry. It was an inglorious episode with an older woman. She liked horses quite a lot and treated me not unlike a young stallion. <laughs> Quick ride after which she'd smack my rump and sent me to graze. It happened in a grassy field behind a busy pub. Obviously someone had seen us. Going off of this, Rupert Everett, who I know as the gay man that I was hoping would somehow end up with Julia Roberts yeah. at the end of my best friend's wedding, and they did, not in the way I wanted, but I really did not understand that movie <laughs> at the time, has claimed, this is reported by Perez Hilton, oh. link in show notes. Wow, this is great. Yeah. By the way, I know the woman he lost his virginity to, and I, it wasn't behind a pub and it wasn't in this country. Asked for further comment, he said, I'm just putting it out there. But oh. I know. <laughs> you messy bitch. I'm sorry, these are two messy bitches being messy bitches together. Fucking tell us the name, tell us the country. Rupert, what the fuck? And of course, Perez Hilton. First of all, I can't believe Perez Hilton still is around. I thought we, I thought we killed him. I thought he's done. 
What's up? I get my celebrity gossip from 2006 sources. And this I love is, that. I'm I, I'm an aging millennial. This is, <laughs> this is what I know. I don't you expect me to get my gossip from TikTok. I don't know what that oh, is. Oh, no, no, no. I really stick to the 40 to 60 women who blog crowd. That's my that's my sweet spot. Yes. I'm I'm agog. We're not going to get any other, like, no other details so, so far as of press time. No. that's he's, he's just like, it wasn't her. It wasn't there. And it's like, okay. So what are their options? Where well, could... I don't believe Rupert Everett. I mean, why does Rupert Everett know what... I thought it was gonna, he was going to say, ah, it was me. <laughs> I, yeah. I was really excited I mean, for that. I that would be great. Yeah. Rupert Everett's memoir, which I read when I lived in London, is... Is it good? He's a messy bitch, so yeah, it's good. <laughs> so why wouldn't you say the name? I feel like Rupert Ever would but, definitely name names. Yeah, he is not light on spilling the tea. I think oh. it's very much about um, the royal family, and I wonder if it's a way to get in the news, because obviously yeah. we're talking about it. Do you think he knows? No. Do you think he really knows, or do you think it's one of those things where he heard forthhand that Prince Harry wasn't quite being truthful, so he actually knows nothing. But how, do, how does Rupert Everett know how Prince Harry lost his virginity? Is Rupert and... Everett maybe low-key rich? Is he one of those British actors who is like actually like very, very wealthy? Or how did he get wealthy, though? Because what did he do? He did like, oh, so a I mean, bunch of Oscar Wilde adaptations? No, but I mean, like, he says family rich. Like, are, is, he of the, oh. is he of the Everett's, you know? He did, he did go to one of those fancy schools. You know what? I'm going to do a little bit of... Just, yeah, I, I have you, to know. You pull up that phone. Just getting on the phone here. I do think that there's this assumption that all like rich, fancy people know each other, mm -hmm. and in England, my experience of England, that mostly proved to be true. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> but uh, you know, in fact, it's actually not. I mean, so speaking I like... as a rich, fancy English person, I can say that <laughs> yes, I know. Chris, <laughs> <laughs> multiple living rooms, which he refers to as drawing rooms or sitting rooms, depending on the relative fanciness. Mm -hmm. And um, he's not not teased for it. <laughs> oh, I do want to first point out that Rupert Effer was born May 29th, fellow Gemini. We do lie. So. Oh. <laughs> but he loves to spill some gossip. Yeah. You, um, you know a Gemini loves to gossip. So I just want to say, maybe you can give us some insight. So his maternal grandfather, Vice Admiral Sir Hector Charles Donald McLean DSO, I don't know what that means, was a nephew of Scottish recipient of the Victoria Cross. <laughs> Sorry. He doesn't sound posh. Like I was going to say, is any of this really posh? He was raised a Roman Catholic. Does that <laughs> Is that posh? No, he, he cannot be a member of the royal family um, if he is a Roman Catholic, which I do not think is a concern in his case. I don't yeah. think that was going to happen anyway. Um, but, uh, this was very important to me to know when I was 13 years old and in yeah. love with Prince William. So w what year did you say he was born? He was born in 1959 of wealthy parents. So he's a oh, boomer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's a fucking boomer liar. He's a boomer liar. Yeah, okay. I mean, but so what I'm saying is, I mean, what age was Harry when he lost his virginity? Say so he's 16 when he loses his virginity. Okay. And he's, so that would be the year 2000, which makes Rupert Effort 41. What is right. Rupert Everett doing? And I'm actually wondering if Harry, because wasn't that, because isn't the whole thing about him saying like, oh, the paparazzi must have seen us because this is when um, his friend, who's actually his father's servant, calls him and is like, <laughs> we have to have a big talk. Something major has happened. And he's so sure that that's what he's going to tell him about. Yes, and it's the pot. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, you're right. Like 16, yeah. 17, maybe. Also the phrase, the friend who was actually his father's servant. <laughs> so ties in so few scenarios. <laughs> I remember he was a bon vivant. I remember in Africa, which again, Prince Harry will not give us country names. He persists in Africa all the fucking time. But I, I went to Africa. Yeah. <laughs> I love Africa. Took my day to Africa. <laughs> the African air really calmed my nerves. 
he's that servant who like loves a good bonfire, is so funny, everyone loves him, loves to eat, loves to drink. So my question is, uh -huh. if in an ideal world for you, how would Prince Harry have actually lost his virginity if this was a lie? Uh, that's, that's a great question. Great. Okay, for me, Prince Harry, it's a Jilly Cooper scenario. Mm -hmm. Prince Harry has, on several occasions, met uh, the, you know, attractive young mother of one of his good friends. Mm -hmm. You know, so she's maybe, he's born in the 80s, his friend was born in the 80s. So, I don't know, she's maybe 40 at the time mm -hmm. this takes place. And, uh, yeah, and one day he goes over to his friend's house to see if she's there. Her, his friend is not there, and uh, the woman gently but, uh, you know, persuasively invites him into the, you know, fret-sheeted bed uh, mm. and uh, takes his innocence. <laughs> he wants it too, though. Like, he wants to give it away. Oh, yeah. How yeah. would Jilly Cooper put that, though? I don't feel that she'd say takes oh, his well, innocence. Oh, for, for Jilly Cooper, he'd also fuck the daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of would love it for him if he lost his virginity to Baby Spice. Because I remember, <gasps> I do love that. You know what I mean? Like, I remember even in high school, and I knew so little about the royal family, but I knew that Prince Harry, for some reason I knew, and probably he'll tell me like, the press was always lying. But he's mentioned Baby Spice too, and he mentioned how excited he was to see the Spice Girls. That's a great, that's a great story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, I feel like she would be perfect. She's like, enthusiastic, yeah. you know. She'd be sweet, she'd be nice, you know, she wouldn't, she wouldn't laugh at him, like, if there would be laughing, but she would include him in it, he'd feel, you know, yeah, welcome. exactly. I, I know that, that's, that is now my preferred method of uh, virginity losing. Yeah, <laughs> to baby spice. <laughs> <laughs> to baby spice. What about you, Chris? I have not given much thought to how <laughs> Prince Harry lost his virginity before, um, but I mean, I would, I would like it at boarding school with a fellow student who... Well, like a Maurice um, situation. Uh, you, like you know you went to an all-boys boarding school. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's... Oh, I love this. This is yeah. more progressive than I thought you were. I mean... <laughs> so when they're all smoking pot out the window, one of them just does like a little, what would you call it, like a, a, oh. a, a cheeky slip? I, mean, I also think it's just more likely, actually. Like, I mean, as far as... No, I, I, it's, I didn't go to an all-boys boarding school. Um, but as far as I'm aware, like, that's just... Of a lot of what goes on in all boys boarding schools. There's actually uh, in what's like Christopher Hitchens' autobiography. He says that the only boys who weren't uh, having sex with one another were the one like the ugly ones. Oh, um, and, oh um, Christopher. <laughs> but anyway, but I, I you know I, I like that idea of him losing virginity with like a really good friend of his, and who maybe kind of like is still in love with him to this day. And I would also like that. is just sitting on kind that. of like but piles I, and piles of cash, yeah. kind of as like, you know. But I don't hiding. love that it would be hidden, you know? I know. I'd want that to have come out in the book or earlier. The other thing is that that feels so much more likely to me than him being like, and I saw a symbolic fox, which if you've read <laughs> the book. Well, I was going to say, what if, okay, what if another boy looked up, well, like, he he comes up from, like, you know, from where he's like leaning over seeing the fox, he comes around and the guy, and one of the other boys who he's never noticed before is like, I saw a fox there once. And everyone like laughs like, oh, Jimmy. <laughs> and Harry looks at him like, what? <laughs> and Jimmy's like, did you see? And he's like, I saw. But the, oh, oh. And then it begins. <laughs> Seeing fantasy animals who might be our mothers is our thing. <laughs> it's it's, it's that, amazing. That's how we get ours. <laughs> it's my kink. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God.
that. I get off twice a decade, but that is my cake. (laughs) And now it's time for the love story. So, Chris, take it away. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about uh, Casablanca, uh, the film, obviously, rather than the place. I could ask uh, Rachel and Naf what your relationship with the film Casablanca is before I start talking about it any further. I think this is a movie where the reputation really precedes it. Like, it's one of those, you know, it's, it's on all the lists, the greatest films of all time, you know, this and that. And um, it wasn't something I'd seen probably until my teens. And uh, at the time... I think the catchy lines really got me, you know, that really, really like pulled me into it. And it was only later that I started like questioning what was beyond that. Um, so yeah, I've had a really vacillating relationship in terms of how much I like the movie over the years. Huh. Um, and then I saw it when it must have been 13, 14. Um, um, it was Valentine's Day. And on Valentine's Day, the Brattle Theatre in Cambridge, Massachusetts, was doing a special showing of Casablanca. And I remember my friend Margaret was going to go, and I had heard of the movie, which just shows how famous it was, because I had heard of nothing. Like, I didn't know any references, and even I knew this was a big deal movie, and I wanted to see it so badly. So I told my mom I had math group, math tutoring, and we went, and it was... I mean, I, I actually remember very little of the movie from that sc- showing. I remember being enchanted. I had never seen a black and white movie before. I had never seen a movie from this era before. I had no idea who these people were. Like, I remember the end, someone saying, like, Humphrey Bogart was great. And I was like, hmm, who? <laughs> but yeah, I just remember being so swept away by it. Um, and it's only, like, afterwards, when watching it again, that, yeah, that I was able to actually think about, oh, what is this movie really telling us, I guess, and like, what does it feel? The scene that I remember from that first showing, and that always gets me, though, is the scene with the Marseillaise. Oh, um, yeah. It's the, it's, that's the scene that I remember from the first time I watched it, and even watching it this, today for, the, for this, like, it, it got to that scene, and I was crying, and I was like, you must be kidding, you knew it was coming, this is propaganda, nationalism, and I was like... I also cried. I just love it. I fucking love it. I cry every time. Every time. It really gets me. Before I first watched it, I heard so many of the lines from it. It was Mm -hmm. like I kind of, I already probably knew about an eighth of the movie. And then when you're actually watching it, it's like sort of seeing the rest of the jigsaw kind of like put into place. So with that in mind, um, let's talk a little bit about how this movie came to be, mm-hmm. because this is really important to the love story. So the making of this movie is absolute chaos. <laughs> so there's an, originally a play called Everybody Comes to Rick's, and this is by uh, Murray Burnett and Joan Allison. And the play is unproduced. It's purchased on December 8th, 1941, which is the day after Pearl Harbor uh, had been attacked. Mm-hmm. And the Warner Brothers studio analyst reads the script and he says it's sophisticated hokum, Mm -hmm. which in Hollywood terms means this is amazing, we have to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) They put a lot of writers on this. So they start out with Anus McKenzie and Wally Klein. After six weeks, Warner Brothers brings in Julius and Philip Epstein and they start casting... And the original casting choice for Rick is Ronald Reagan, which wow. would have been a very different movie. They hire Hungarian emigrant Michael Curtiz to direct. 
who's fairly well known. He's not a huge name. And everybody fucking hates each other. Uh, all the really? actors hate each other. The actors hate the director. The director hates the actors. They don't even have a finished script when they start filming. And so they <laughs> don't know how the film ends. And they don't know who Ingrid Bergman is going to end up with. And so Bergman has no idea how to act this character. So she asks Curtis, who am I actually in love with? Because when you watch the film, it's really, really unclear because yeah. she goes to Rick she's pulling a gun on Rick mm -hmm. and then he's like you know well you could have one letter and then she's like oh I'm in love with you you decide you know right and it, mm -hmm. it's a strange thing and so the, she asks Gertise and he says play it in between <laughs> so you know you great great directing notes. and yeah. honestly kudos to her because she really does that and to the point where I was like what does she really want they and they still don't have a finished script yeah so they bring in this writer called Howard Koch he's like the film needs an ending, and we don't know what happened romantically between Rick and Ilsa. So he writes the whole flashback with Rick and Ilsa, and he creates the backstory of Rick's character as like this underdog who, you know, was running against Ethiopia and who was fighting for the loyalist cause in Spain, mm -hmm. you know, who wants to help kind of the side of right. Okay, so the release date for the film had initially been announced as June 1943. But in November 1942, the Allies landed in Casablanca. And okay. you can literally see the uh, Warner Brothers executives doing, like, the finger-tapping Inspector Gadget. We're going to make money off of this. You know, it, it has its premiere in New York in 1942, November, mm -hmm. only two weeks after uh, the French had turned over Casablanca to the Allies. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the next stroke of luck came when Roosevelt, Churchill, and Stalin announced that they were going to have a peace conference in Casablanca in January 1943. And so they were like, yep, nope, it's not June anymore, now we're doing January. So they launched the film in January of 1943, and that's how Casablanca got its launch into the world. Okay, so what about this? Is this a great movie? Absolutely, yeah. It it is a great movie. There's no question about it. But I think, I think this time around watching it, there was. It's not that I saw things that were bad or nothing like that. But I just there are so many things I had assumed about it from the last time I watched it. One of them being, I don't remember. I didn't remember how quick the ending comes. You know, like there's a point where it seems like everything's insurmountable, mm -hmm. and then things happen quite quickly, right? Like Rick deciding a plan. We, we don't really know what the plan's going to be, because I think Rick is also kind of changing his mind as it goes. And also, at the and I think in my mind, too, I really remembered it being Ingrid Bergman is obviously in love with Rick. Yes, I had that same thing. But this time around, watching it, it's a lot more complicated, and especially because when she comes to beg for the paper, like, you know, I know what happened between us, but you know my husband's in danger. And she's like, I'll do anything, right? Like... There's a lot there, there's a lot in this movie too about like women being like, should I have sex mm. with this other person or to get my husband out? There's yeah. a lot of like the vulnerability of women and what women have to negotiate with, which is basically their bodies. Yeah, but I would argue that that's a kind of like a theme that they're doing, but I think it's more put in us like because obviously Rick kind of saves saves like the the woman who is going to do that with um yes. Claude Rains's character yes and so I think that has been put in as a kind of a counterpoint to the idea that he wouldn't allow something like that 
Oh no, definitely. Oh no, definitely. I don't mean that Rick is like is being coded to us as a predator, but that hmm. in the world that they're in, this is yeah. a danger. And then when she and it's true that when she does, when she tells him like, you know, I've always loved you, it felt so fast that actually watching this time around, I was like, is this a ruse? Like, or does yeah. she really love him? And it's funny because up until now, when I've watched the movie, I've never questioned that she loves him, which is what makes the ending so heartrending for me because it feels like, yes, of course, Rick is doing the right thing, blah blah, blah and it's really noble of him. But I've always thought. She loves him so much. She loves her so much. Oh my God, these two lovers torn asunder. And then this time around, I was like, you know what? I don't know. No, no, she's about to she get, loves she's, him. She's going to get on the plane with him to America. She's going to go along with his plan. Yeah. It's all, I think. I think that's I was, what the movie wants you to think. I'm no, not sure it's not what the movie there. wants you to think. They bend over backwards. The, the, the bit where she pulls the gun on him mm -hmm. and she has the line about like, I, I'll do anything or, mm -hmm. you know, at this point. And I think they really bend over backwards in the script to try and make it clear that no, she's doing this because she's actually in love with him. Because mm -hmm. she pulls the gun, she can't, she can't shoot him because you know, even though she knows that he's got the papers, mm -hmm. and obviously it's a bigger thing to kind of like you know shoot someone than just uh, say that you love them. But he basically suggests that he would give her the papers. I think that's sort of there within that. But she's like no, I can't, I, you know, I ran away from you once, I can't do it again. Mm -hmm. You've got to think for the both of us. She's totally into him. There's no doubt about that. And they really make that clear. And as I say, she is willing to leave Laszlo and Casablanca, you know. Yeah, um, that's true. I guess, you know, you're right. Like, you're right. In terms, I think you're right that the writing goes out of its way to make sure we understand that. Mm. It's just that... And I say this, I'm, I'm a huge fan of all the actors in this movie. Like, I'm not saying anyone d didn't act well. But I don't know, this time around I had questions. Like, this time around it didn't feel, it didn't feel like, oh, the the lovers who should have been are not together. I was like, yeah, it's a good thing you're going with Lazo. Like, I think, I think you'd be really unhappy with her. I think, you notice too, I think also the scene where she says to him, like, I've seen what you've become. Mm. The Rick I knew before I could have told what had happened. But for you to look at me with such hate, and that, and, her, and the way that she delivers those lines, her clear, like, her wounded, her feeling of being wounded, like, I think that resonated with me. So the way that I explain that to myself, because I admit that kind of jarred with me a little bit as well, mm -hmm. but I was like, she doesn't really mean that. Mm -hmm. She's like, she's saying that, she's still completely, like, she's, the moment that she's seen him, she's back in love with him. It doesn't matter that he's there kind of like hunched over a bottle, he's right. sort of like, he's being mean to her and stuff like that. She's like, she's back in it. And she comes in and she's like, oh, the Rick that I knew before, you know, wouldn't have been like this. I could have trusted him. But she's still, mm. she's she's just wanting him to... See, I have the opposite reaction, though, which I think tells us that the text is really open to interpretation. Mm. And maybe this is one of the scenes that they didn't have mm. the ending figured out for. So we don't know whether she's playing Rick and just like, you decide and hoping he makes the right choice. Or if she's going, you know, you decide... I really love you, you know, I know that, you know, you're going to do, you know, what I want you to do here. Because the two questions that I had to start with is, is this, is this a great movie and is this a great romance? What do, you, do you think it's a great movie? I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's a good movie. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's one of the top of all times. I think that there's a real lack of characterization of the Ilsa character mm -hmm. that gives us very little context clues as to what she's actually feeling in any given moment. Mm -hmm. And so she ends up more like a pawn mm -hmm. that uh, that we don't know where her actions are coming from. 
And uh, again, the, this seems to me like a production problem, you know, and I, I think it works out well. I think that it's a very emotionally satisfying movie, and I think it was particularly so at the moment that it came out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I don't think that uh, we have enough characterization of Ilsa as a person, because what do we know about her except that she's like super horny for Rick? I'm not sure this is so much a romance as a story about getting over your ex. <laughs> Where Rick's like, you know what? It's okay. Like, you move on with your life. Right. You know, it's a moment that, like, everybody has where it's just like, you know what? You're going to have your life and I'm going to have mine. And that's fine. Well, the thing is, is that Rick doesn't really want Elsa. He just wants Elsa to want him. Like, you know, so he's sort of like, the moment that she's basically said, hey, I didn't leave you in Paris because I didn't love you. I still love you. And that's the moment that he, you know, and, and there's the whole kind of like, the camera fades out. They definitely have sex. Yeah. Then it fades back in. <laughs> they're both perfectly dressed, which I like. Yeah. I mean, I'm imagining they've showered. They've, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they might put a white snack. Yeah, 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 you know. And, and, and back, She's done her hair. Yeah. <clears throat> and after that period, he's like, okay, now I can... Um, yeah. Now I can put her on the plane. Like, and, and you know what? And even when he says to her, like, we did lose Paris for a while, but we brought it back. Mm. Like, yeah, it kind of, yeah, it, it feels like actually, like, what he really wants is just to make sure that Paris was real. Mm. And her being there or being not there is less. And, and yeah, and we're also, of course, supposed to understand that he's a noble person. Like, an adjoining question, I guess, like, do you, do you think that Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman have good chemistry? I don't think that... Bogart has really good chemistry with anybody. I think he has a stone wall against which people with charisma can play. Mm -hmm. So, like, he's great with Bacall, for example. Right. In To Have and To Have Not, which yeah. I would love to discuss at some point. But uh, the thing with Bergman is she's also a very reactive mm -hmm. uh, actress. And so you don't get a lot. Like, you get a lot of reactions from her. But you're going, from what? Mm -hmm. You know? There's, like, what do we have in Paris? We have eight clips, a lot of which are just providing information. You get, you know, in those clips, I think twice you get the line, here's looking at you, kid, mm -hmm. which, what does that even mean? That's like, a really good point. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> <point. laughs> like, so you get the catchphrase, but then, like, and then, you know, you get them on a green screen in front of the Arc de Triomphe. Uh -huh. You get them like driving, hearing, yeah, driving. Mm. Get them hearing that the Nazis have invaded Paris. You get him being like, "I'm going to meet you at the train station," and her obviously being like, "Yeah, okay, that's fine." And, and like him <laughs> asking her to marry him. Yeah. I've forgotten about that. That there's like a hasty proposal. Like, but, what if the engineer marries us? I mean, that's kind of cool. That's kind of no, no, sweet. That's but a, I just, but I just forgot. I forgot all of that. But you can marriage. very much see that it's Coach just being like, "I need to get like a full romance into right. three minutes of." Tape, yeah. I would argue that you don't, it doesn't really matter. Like, I mean, because in fact, the reality is between, you know, in, in a lot of like love stories between actual people, the, the kind of the, the meanings and kind of the whys and wherefores don't really matter. I mean, two people love one another. And sometimes like film gives us enough kind of shorthand to just put sort of two charismatic, attractive people next to one another and be like, yeah, they're in love and believe it. And I think that a lot of kind of modern film 
misses that and they kind of they feel the need to like give developed backstories and sort of like characterization and stuff like that but actually so many people are willing to just buy into mm -hmm. just these two people love one another that's enough i think that's enough when you have actual tension between the leads like say spencer tracy and katherine hepburn where you're just like yeah i would watch these two people just talk about doing the dishes all day i do think that's true for Bogart and Claude Rains, who plays um, Captain mm. Rainer. That's literally what I was thinking. They have great chemistry. Yeah, and that's actually, you know, the final line of the movie was uh, put in in post-production mm -hmm. because they watched the movie and they were like, this isn't complete. There's a homoerotic tension between mm -hmm. Rains and Bogart throughout the film. At one point, you know, Louis says, you know, he's talking uh, to a woman about Rick. He says, if I were a woman, mm -hmm. I should be in love with Rick. Right. Yeah. Rick yeah. is the only person, only, yeah, only actor who makes Rick's character laugh ever. Like, there's a yes. real ease mm. with there's the way a, they um, talk to each other. It's interesting you say this. There's a film critic, I think his name is David Thomas. He's mm. a very big film critic, and he, he's written, like, some really kind of like big books about cinema and one of the things that he kind of gets into is if there were ever a sequel of Casablanca I think it's that and um, he says that those two characters would just go off and have a, a sort of like a homosexual relationship like what's what actually happens next do Laszlo and Ilsa stay together um, I mean presuming that Rick doesn't die in the war, or none of them die in yeah. the war. What happens after the war, basically, and they're all still alive? Well, this transitions into a question that I okay. had, which was, or, or a connection that I had, which was the Harry Met Sally um, the argument. Have you guys, uh, have you guys seen this recently? Do you yes. remember? Mm -hmm. And uh, at the beginning, when Sally's very young, when they're both very young, she says. You know, of course she stays with Laszlo. Why wouldn't you want to stay with Laszlo and become the first lady of Czechoslovakia? <laughs> <laughs> In their 20s, you know, Harry responds and he's like, so you wouldn't stay with a man that you'd had the best sex of your life with uh -huh. in order to, you know, and she's like, no, I would be the first lady of Czechoslovakia. <laughs> You know, and then in, in, later in her 30s, she's like, no, I never said that. Who would give up Rick? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like she's becoming more romantic as the story goes on. And, uh, you know, I do think that uh, in the story that we're given, beyond anything that uh, we can project from there, I think that Elsa and, and Lazo are, I'm not sure they're in the States, but I think they're somewhere where, you know, maybe it's England, or maybe it's Switzerland. I doubt it's Switzerland. It, it, it's somewhere that where they can be safe and where he can lead the Czech resistance from, you know, from a relatively neutral country or, you know, even better, an allied country. And I think, yeah, uh, Rick and Reno go on and uh, become freedom fighters. But I would say, sorry, this is a total sidebar, but I would like you to guess, how old do you think Rick is in the film? Uh, his the, his he's, character's he's age? He's 37. Yeah. He's 37! Yeah. That's rough. That that feels like a personal punch. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Where it's just like, okay, Humphrey Bogart, like, I, 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 you must have led a rough life. There was some drinking and some smoking and some... Running guns. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That, you, you didn't know about sunscreen, yeah. but... Uh, even then. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't put on your, you know, SPF 50 before yeah. running the guns. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that probably what he, what Rick says to her at the end when, when he's like, you know, if you were to stay, you might not regret it now, but you would regret it later. I think he's probably right. I think 
soon and for the rest of your life. Exactly. And I think probably wherever they end up, she and Laszlo, like, I think they stay together. It's a successful marriage. They're able to continue the, the fight. I don't think it's a... I think it's a loving marriage, but not, like, a passionate love marriage. It's a Bill Hillary marriage. Yes. Where you're just, like, this benefits both people. Yeah. Like they Did both you say believe, Bill and Hillary, man? Bill and Hillary. Bill they, and both Hillary. Be, they both believe <laughs> the in the Clintons. cause... I, I mean, I definitely Bill believe and that Hillary. I think we said exactly. <laughs> yeah. Rachel, continue. God, okay. I definitely believe that one cause is more important than the other. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Who's Hillary's Rick? Like, I don't. If, uh, uh, we'll never if know. If only we knew. <laughs> we'll never know. Um, do you think though that they both end up as freedom fighters? I can see Rick being a freedom fighter, but. Reno is, um, I'm like, is he a freedom fighter? Because I think that probably when they get to Brazzaville, he just finds another sideline that's really profitable and is like less directly Nazi. But I don't see him, I see Rick kind of going back into, like, you know, that's obviously like more of who he is, like the freedom fighter, resistance. But like, yeah. I feel Reno's like his BFF who he comes home to and he's like, oh, back in the trenches, what were you doing? Oh, you know, selling my porn magazines. Doing really well, actually. Well, I think it's really important to point out that Reno is not a Nazi per se. That right. he's the representative mm. of the Vichy government. And I think for Americans at the time, like, it's, it's so much is happening so fast internationally. And so you're going, okay, so, like, you know, what does it mean for somebody to be a representative of the Vichy government? You know, the, the, try to explain it geopolitically today, you know, is so complicated. It takes, like, six steps to go, you know, well, okay, Casablanca is still a French colony at this point, and, mm -hmm. you know, the French are divided into two, but Vichy has, you know, control over, whereas these things are assumed that the audience at the time knows them, but it's also, you can see that Warner Brothers was just like, whatever the fuck this movie is, because they don't bother to explain it for posterity, yeah, you I know? I thought that a really interesting thing, it, it allows, so... One of the things I really loved about the movie is just, I think, what a great story it is. Like, regardless of kind of characterization or anything like that, like, you know, you have this thing at the beginning, the kind of the tickets out of there, and then you have the conflict as to who, you know, should he give the tickets or not? Mm -hmm. And the audience are invited into, should he follow the path of love or should he follow the path of, like... Righteousness. You know, righteousness, like... And it's it, it's sort of perfectly set up for these things. It doesn't feel contrived, effectively. Mm. The only thing that I thought could have felt contrived, sort of in regard to this, is that idea that, like, Laszlo's just this freedom fighter who's wanted by the Nazis and he's just wandering around in plain sight yeah. in... Vichy France. But remember that Vichy France is supposedly independent. Well, that's what I mean. So it, it is supposedly independent. So it's actually, com it, it's sort of believable that he could be doing this. And then there's that kind of like weird, well, they're sort of enemies, but also allies at the same time. And so you allow for all of the interactions which happen to just take place in plain sight which is a real consequence of the time in which it's set, which I thought was really interesting and useful. Right. Yeah, it's actually amazing how much uh, historical, geopolitical knowledge you need to understand this film. Yeah, because like... Cause the way when, that it functions. The way when, when he... When Laszlo and the the German dude who works at Rick's, when they're running away from the meeting... Carl. Mm. Carl, yes. Um, so it is it, like, it's the idea, basically, that even though, again, it's... Um, under Vichy rule, but people can, you know, like someone like Laszlo can go and be safe in theory. 
you're still not allowed to have like secret meetings basically you're not yes that's yeah. what that's the yeah, yeah so and it has to be a secret meeting. Like, you can't just, like... There, it's still not a place where it's like, oh, yeah, all political views are welcome. No, no, no. Got you, okay. But that's the theory that of, like, Rick's Cafe. Right. Is it, like, he, like in theory, it's this, like, oh, all political views are welcome, just give me your money. And just don't talk about them, Yeah, right? exactly. We're not going to make this the site of, like, you... Um, like, <laughs> God, that, little, that woman who um, is with the German... First she's with, you know, we... She's with Rick, and then she's with the German guy, and then the, the French officer's like, oh, they bush... Oh blah 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 blah. Oh Yvonne, and she's a she's a dead ringer for Ingrid Bergman. It's really interesting. That's yeah. true. And he yeah. treats her like a child. You yeah. know, she is. She's like, hi Rick, are we having a date? And he like oh, tonight. And he's like, I put don't her in that far ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like take her take her home. And but you said yesterday, <laughs> I never think that far back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, where do you live? <laughs> what time? Yeah, it's like what is the actual like characterization difference between her and Ingrid Bergman? It's nothing. Right. It's just the fact that she's not Ingrid Bergman. Exactly. Exactly. Which is actually kind of how life works. Yeah. Wait, when, when like you're having a rebound, you're just like, I don't know, you're not the person that right. I want. I thought you'd yeah. say the way life works is that we're not Ingrid Bergman. Like every day we <laughs> live, that. every day we live and also go, that. I'm not Ingrid Bergman now, and I never will be. Also that I think also okay. So one huge thing of this movie that really I, I find so impressive is that we're supposed to root for like the jaded washed up, 37-year-old mm-hmm. looking fucking six years old. <laughs> going on 99. Yeah, going on 99. Man, versus the hero resistance fighter mm-hmm. who escaped mm-hmm. a concentration camp mm-hmm. and, like, leads everybody in the Marseille as it makes us all cry. Right. And we're like, no, definitely the guy in the white tuxedo. Right. He's, he's, he's the one. He's an impediment to the love story. <laughs> right. And you can actually, I th- like, this time around also is thinking that it's it's striking the difference between when... Um, when Laszlo tells what tells her when she's you know they turn off the lights and he's about to go to the meeting and he's like and she goes like you know I might have to I might have to go tonight but if I tell you you know if I tell you this will you believe me he's like I'll believe anything you say I believe you yeah and okay. then when I have Rick, a lot of thoughts about the scene but okay yeah. okay oh, yeah, I want to but then wait, the, and then the scene after when she goes to Rick and he's like well how can I believe you you would say anything now and I just thought that was really interesting right like one man telling her I'll believe I believe you and we're being like fuck you I don't believe shit you know like and again she's like. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's so, but that so ties into like actual like other plot movements where it's like Lazo's like just take her to freedom. It's fine, mm-hmm. you know. And Rick's like, you come with me to America, and we'll leave right. Lazo here. And it's like, who really loves her? The one who's like anything that that happens to me, it's fine as long as you're safe. And the other one who's just yeah, like, but Rick's a fucking human being, and like you know, none of us. Can- <laughs> Like, that's the difference. Is like, and Maslow's a god, and wouldn't you rather be with the god? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but not really. I think everybody <laughs> wants to be with the human, the, the guy who's passionate, and not the guy who's like, you know, w- whatever you do, I'll believe you. Because, yeah, what were we going to say about that scene? I'm, what I found fascinating about that scene, because I, you know, I, w- I watched the film today, and I there was most of it I remembered, and I didn't mm. really remember what happened in that scene. And I was like, just... Before it was happened, I was like, how are they going to write this? Like, mm-hmm. how is she going to sort of tell him that she's got to go to Rick? And how is he going to react in a a way which doesn't sort of, like, completely spin the plot off in another direction yeah, and create like, drama in a different way? Don't tell me whatever you do. Yeah, yeah. whatever happens. And so, yeah, and the, the, yeah, the, the writer's response to it is... 
he, he's not going to respond in any way. He's just going to let her do it. And so I think it's one of these examples of character almost like following plot rather than kind of character driving plot. Mm, like mm-hmm. they've, they've made him do that because that would have been, if you wrote that in any other way in which he was belligerent about right. what she was going to do. Or raised any sort of objection yeah, or doubts. Yeah. yeah. Then it would completely throw the plot off course, which does not say that it's not consistent with yeah, the yeah. character that it's, Built, mm-hmm. but. but I think this is actually like at the core of the Harry Met Sally dilemma, mm. which is like there's Rick who's who feels like an actual person, and then there's Laszlo who has absolutely no faults. Yeah, I like, think she has better sex with Laszlo, by the way. I think that uh, really, <laughs> yeah, why tell, do you think that? Tell us I mean, what it's like. Also, <laughs> <laughs> she comes every time. Mainly because I can't really imagine Humphrey Bogart having sex. I can't imagine. I can imagine him taking that tuxedo off and there being another tuxedo. Off. <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas, like, I mean, that's it. And let me tell you guys this: at this point in the story, um, at the time that this movie is made, there's the production code. You guys know about the mm-hmm. Hayes production code. So there are a lot of like, you know, you, you can do this, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. So like interracial relationships are absolutely forbidden under this code. Right. Um, a married woman was not allowed to leave her husband for another man. So there was never any question in the mind of the screenwriters or of the audience that Ilza would leave <clears throat> Laszlo for Rick because she's married. Right. You know, and so she was only allowed to have the affair because she thought that her husband was dead so and that no, she was a widow. So there'd be no dramatic tension for the audience at the time. There'd be no will they, will she, won't she, because of course she won't. She has to stay with her husband. Presumably he could have been killed somehow or something like that. Right, but, 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 it, wouldn't it. Be, but it wouldn't be by her choice. It mm. wouldn't be her choosing one over the other. But, that's, that one choice why, is but that's why you have Rick moving all of the pieces mm-hmm. and uh, Ilsa having so little agency. Okay. Because you know, there, there's the point that Rick is talking to Reno and he's saying, well, you know, if he's caught with the papers on him, you could put him back in a concentration camp. And just as the audience, you're going, like, thinking about seeing this for the first time, mm. you're going, oh, my God, you want to put him in a concentration? Right, like, right. you're the villain. <laughs> like, yeah. you're the baddie. But, but, but in some way, it's like, well, that is one way. Like, yeah, she ends up with this horrible guy who was like, throw this innocent, heroic man into a concentration mm-hmm. camp. Um, hey, but Ilsa's ready to go with that. <laughs> I, I think it's important yeah. to say that she, I mean... She has, admittedly, she has ceded all responsibility with the line, you have to think for the both of us. Right. But nevertheless, when he's like, yeah, we're going to put him in a concentration camp, we're going to go to America. (laughs) (laughs) But but do we believe that she believes it? I mean, is that the thing? Or is is, is there a last minute plan where she gets both visas off of Rick? Here's the thing. If, if, If she doesn't believe it, because it's like... I still think that the way that Ingrid Bergman plays those last scenes, it, it really leaves a lot of room for interpretation. But it's true that she does go, she at least verbally goes along with the plan of, mm. right, so we'll go to America together. But it's weird because even though I've just seen this movie, it didn't, that didn't strike me. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, all that was said, I understood. And yet I was still stuck with, I don't know if she loves it. She's not so enthusiastic about the plan because she's not supposed to, right? She says, like, you'll think for the two of us. And maybe that's why I was able to kind of let it go. In the same, you know, it's funny, it kind of feels of a piece to me uh, with the character of Reno, who I find to be so charismatic, even though mm. there are so many things. But the thing that I, I keep reminding myself of 
which is reprehensible, is that he his like side like his side hustle is that these married couples will come and ask for visas. He'll tell them you have to raise a certain amount of money, and it seems like the puzzle is, and then he gets to fuck the woman. Yeah, we're gonna circle back. In yeah, exactly. Right? Like, yeah. And it's really, all, I mean, like awful doesn't cover it. It's reprehensible. It's disgusting. Humphrey, like when Humphrey Bogart, you know, helps him cheat at the roulette table, so he gets money, and they go. The way that the he's Bulgarian like Bulgarian couple. The Bulgarian yeah. couple. Thank you. Um, and Reno's like, all right, this time around, blah blah. It's like, all right, good, good, good sport. You know, like good show. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And 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 that is also part of his character, but because so much of his character is being smooth and s- swaggering and just having like these like you know clever repartees with Bogart, it's weird. It's, it's all but this. That's is... also Bogart's character. You know, that's I stick my my neck out for nobody. No, it's true. But I guess I I'm struck in this movie by how the way people act does a lot for how I feel affected by their characters, despite plot devices and plot mm. movements that should. S- that really should swing a different way. But the yeah. way that these characters come across to me is so much of a, they just, they feel different in a way, I guess, right? Like they come to you and then you're like, that's who they are. And in a way, even if the plot is there and it's very clearly set up, it, it not that it doesn't matter, but I'm, I'm somehow re- relating to the characters in a way that the rest of the story isn't there. I'm in a story with them. And I'm just like, wow, she's so beautiful. Oh, I really feel for him. Oh, the pain. Oh, the cleverness. And and somehow the ra- wide range of emotions that are attached to them because of their actions, because of what happens around them, seems to stick less to them. But that's fascinating because where does that come from? Because we've already established, like, it's not the, the um, chemistry between the characters. Right. I think, to some extent, I think it's the, like, catchphrases of these characters. I stick my neck out for nobody, mm-hmm. you know, we'll always have Paris. Mm-hmm. You know, these, All the gin joints. Yeah, like uh, these really famous lines uh, just uh, get him so far, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of a character that somehow we're rooting for and right. I don't know what it is. I know, I mean, you're rooting for Rick because he's kind of cool and suave and basically mm-hmm. like a good guy underneath and you want him to be a good guy and then he turns out that he is a good guy he's the kind of he's the cowboy he's the you know whatever he's the the sentimentalist he's he's the rogue and the sentimentalist and all that kind of stuff like i mean there's a lot of reasons why you want to root for rick and Mm -hmm. because yeah and because laszlo is just this like I, i mean in my mind there's a degree of like male fantasy i think in casablanca in which is like most there are a lot more men who are a bit like Rick, very very few who are uh, like saints like Laszlo, and he's not mm-hmm. just a saint. He's brave and brilliant. But when you're watching it, you you root for the person who you feel like you've got at least a little bit more of a hope of being. Mm. Um, and you know, and if they come up with kind of like pithy one-liners and uh, get the girl but you know turn them like so much the better like I, I think it's just it's playing into people's fantasies and then but then also people do prefer but it's playing characters into men's like fantasies of uh, who would you be rather than women's fantasies of who would you be with mm. Mm. you know because it's like would you rather be with like the kind of fucked up guy who owns a bar and doesn't care if they're like Nazis trotting through day and night, or like the guy who I really feel like Sally, very much Sally, you know, mm-hmm. or the guy who's like a freedom fighter for Czechoslovakia, and it's like no matter if this is a lost cause, and I'm in a concentration camp, right. and I escape, and I go back, and whatever. Yeah, like, but you know, but the thing is, is that he doesn't really he cares about Ilsa in the kind of the same way that he cares about everything else, like. 
he cares about her because you know you should care about her and because he's he's just using her as one of his many i think it's even said in the film she's just one of his many causes whereas for rick like ilsa is the cause when she's the cause you know like it's sort of like she's she's everything to him in that moment yeah it's true i mean like i will say i think i think what they say in the movie is that for Laszlo to even to be able to fulfill his real cause, he needs her. Yeah. Like it, it's a, it's, it's not just that she's one of his causes. It's like she's mm. key to it. But I agree. Like, even the fact that in real life this would be horrible, but the fact that he seems to completely and utterly fall apart because of her leaving mm. without saying goodbye, like, it, it's, it, it really, it's clear at least to me that yeah, he's a ravaged shell of a man yeah. that he's never been well since then. And like, again, in real life, that's that would be awful to deal with that, right? Like, that's not a person that you want to really be around. But yeah, in a movie, my God, how romantic, right? Like, because of me, because of me not getting to the train on time, your life is over. Like, he still manages to sort of, like, there's not a huge amount of time between when the movie that's, is set. That was one of my questions. <laughs> how long ago was Paris? Yeah. Like, the German occupation of France was, what, 1940? And this is 1941? Was the bar already set up and the original owner died? And then, I mean, maybe. And Rick got in really quick. I mean, that's really the only way, right? Like, and I was like, no, it's the American cafe. Yeah, because it's huge. It's well-stocked. It's everyone goes there. Yeah, it's basically the... It wouldn't be un-American. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, cheap real estate? Yeah. Thank you so much, yes. I mean, it's top five fictional bars ever, if not number one of the fictional bars. If, yeah, if I, mean, I could go to any... Four? I mean, well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I agree. And, and it's he's also, done that in a year? I there's mean. roulette, there's dancing, there's music, there's that Spanish singer. I wouldn't want to leave, personally. <laughs> I would be no. I'd be like, just keep me in Casablanca. Champagne cocktails no, right, mean, left, and center. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's amazing. And again, it's that utopia of, as long as you don't talk about politics, everyone can get along, mm. right? And that's a very American thing. That's exactly it, right? Yeah. Like, Humphrey Bogart and uh, Reno's characters are interesting to me, too, because to me, it really exemplifies this, I would say, like, really, like, an American ideal of just be a good guy, right? Like, yeah. no matter what your politics are, you know, mm. no matter what your actions are, you're just kind of a good guy, right? I'd like, like to have a beer with him. Yeah, though, you've got the win. Hey, so long as you, uh, you <laughs> ran guns to Ethiopia at some point in the past. Sure, like, you know, but right now, right here, right like, now. Again, that's added in later because they were like, we need, oh, we need yeah. to like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, like they're just, and they're both, and they're both kind of above it all, right? Like they're mm. above the emotions of the others. They're above the yeah. like the patriotic quibbles and whatever. They, they have this neutrality that they think is a virtue. Yes, and the movie proves that it's not. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the power of the movie. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Is it, you have to make a choice to be a hero. Yeah, this this idea that like uh, choosing nothing is still choosing something, mm-hmm. and it's not choosing the right thing. Right, like that guy who um. When uh, when Peter Laurie is taken away and he's like, help me, Rick, help me, and Rick does nothing. And the, the other character comes and he's like, what is my time to go? I hope you're a little bit more help or whatever. It's like, oh, I stick my neck out for nobody, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but yeah, but like, it, it's really, it's interesting the way that Rick is in relation to other people because at some, I'm, it might be the other bar, uh, the Blue Parrot owner. That's what it's called, right? Or, or yeah, it might yeah. be the um, rainbow. But someone's like, you know, you have to, you do have to scratch the backs of others to get anywhere. But he does, right? Like he lets Nazis come, even though clearly he's against the Nazis, even though he pretends not to be. I don't know. Like he is more so, I think, than Renault. Bogart is making choices, but they're small, and it's almost like he doesn't want anyone to know. Like deep down inside, I have ideals and values. Ugh! Don't talk about it. <laughs> don't tell anybody. No one's gonna come drink here. <laughs> That's true. Like I, I think the movie is very careful to present him as like he's neutral. He's he's nothing. He's Switzerland. Mm-hmm. 
Laszlo comes in and like the free Frenchman shows him his ring, you know, and it's yeah. like, yeah, so there are free French in his bar, you know, and there are Nazis in his bar and there are, you know, the Bulgarian refugees mm -hmm. in his bar. This is already leading us somewhere. Mm -hmm. And like, although I agree very much with it, where it's leading us, yeah. it's a foregone conclusion, yeah. you know. Ick factors. The uh, Captain Reno's women, yeah, we already talked about this mm -hmm. a bit, but the idea that it's presented as a joke, as it's like, oh, he fucks this women, like these women, so yeah. they can get to the states. Like, it's pretty shocking, actually. And especially because the way that she, when she talks to Rick about it, and she's like, you know, it, it's fine, right? Like, if I, he never finds out, and I do it because I really, really love him, and then when she says something like, you know, in many ways, I'm, I'm more of a grown-up than he, like, he's a, still a child, he's... Like, I don't, almost like I don't want him to be corrupted. Like, I'd rather bear yeah. the brunt of this. And she's like, but if he ever finds out, she's so, she's in such terror over it. Right? Yeah. It's like yeah. moral terror. But it, it suggests that they're taking it at least a little bit seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, because he is, you know, Renault has presented us this sort of like happy-go-lucky figure, but that speech is pretty affecting. It's all done so euphemistically mm -hmm. that, I mean... Yeah, maybe I could have even missed it when you know I first watched it when I was like a lot younger, and and you realise what she's actually saying, and it's pretty like horrific. And instead, when you know if you don't realise it, then you laugh mm -hmm. at the whole. There's a bit where it's like she doesn't have money for her visa or something like that, and he's like, "Show her in." I can't remember the exact lines. Yeah, yeah, where where it's very clear that she has no means of getting the visa, and mm -hmm. Reno is just like. Yeah, bring her, bring her in, and this is a good thing. Because yeah, you'll right, be able yeah. to fuck her, which is worth money. But just the implication that that's part of his life, right? Like, he's he's a happy-go-lucky guy who does something that's nightmarish. Do you think it's also a bit of a dig at the French? I definitely, yeah, I think so. Definitely. Do we want Rick and Ilza to end up together? Um, no, actually. Like, on this watch, no, I did not want them to end up together. I thought she'd be really unhappy with him. Yeah, and I think eventually he'd be unhappy with her too. Like he's in love with the dream. He's not yeah, to... I think he'd start to feel judged by her. Okay, um, so I mean, I want to bring it back to the uh, even the name of this podcast will always have Paris, and so the phrase will always have Paris. In that seems to be like because there are different moments of a love affair, obviously, mm -hmm. or being in love with anybody. And this time that they spend in Paris is that kind of like crazy honeymoon period that they just have together. And then it get uh, prematurely ruptured because of, you know, fucking Laszlo Nazis. and Nazis and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's not Laszlo's fault. <laughs> no, it's a bit Laszlo's fault. Like, for... He escapes from the concentration camp. Yeah, come good. on. Um, and so what they're left with is this kind of like cocoon moment of that the, they're left only with the love story you know whatever that may be of mm -hmm. their their relationship and that's when they say kind of we'll always have paris it means we'll always have that kind of like true kind of like unblemished you know love which is like you know not changed by reality or anything um yeah and yeah it's not corrupted yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 corrupted, obviously, by everything that comes after, but it's not corrupted by the sort of like you know, Rick. I don't know, not turning out the backlight, which he obviously did do on that occasion, but um, but yeah, you know, it, it's not corrupted by sort of like the the minutia of domesticity or 
like you know the reality of Laszlo having to fight for a cause or anything mm-hmm. like that they've just got this all they've got is the love story right huh. but it's interesting because like in a lot of ways I feel like this is a very adult love story mm-hmm. like not, mm-hmm. not in terms of like a, you know we see anything explicit but in terms of you know this is something that's very much just about the emotions of the two of them beyond like whatever illusions they have of mm-hmm. each other and it's about this moment that they spend as you know just absolutely themselves without her talking about her past and I'm not sure I believe that in terms of what life is actually like right but I think the screenplay very much presents it as this pure moment uh, that, uh, you know, can't be touched by anything outside of itself, mm-hmm. but also can't continue outside of itself. Right. right. Um, mm. It's not meant, yeah, it, to both of your points, right? It's not meant to be touched by, like, everyday concerns or chores or anything like that. It is supposed to be romance, capital R, writ large, nothing else sullying it. Yeah, they're never going to be arguing about, like, you know, the where were you the other night? You know, you spent too much on hats this month or like whatever yeah. people I mean, spend she money on. She definitely would have been spending too much on hats. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, yeah. Like she had, I mean... I have a lot, yeah. Ingrid Bermude's wardrobe in this movie is very interesting to me because, in like, every time she would come on the screen in a new outfit, my first reaction would be, wow. And then two seconds later, I would look at what she was, <laughs> really look at what she's wearing and go, huh. And then a few other seconds go by, I'd be like, wait, what is this? Like, <laughs> Bergman's Bergmanness, really like the first time she comes out in that like white hat and the like striped shirt I was like damn and then a few minutes later I was like are you wearing a pin what <laughs> Ingrid and then she turns and we see like the little bump on her hat and I was like I can't co-sign this outfit you are doing a lot for it but girl what happened <laughs> how much did that cost the Czechoslovakian people yes. <laughs> Strange blazers with mumsy-looking skirts. I just said, but then every, but every time she walked out screen, I'd be like, "Wowza!" And then I have to completely change my opinion when I get would get over the fact of her being beautiful, and then be like, "Yeah, no, I don't know." I know she's obviously she's only got the kind of like the Moroccan street uh, hawkers to kind of like buy stuff off, and then I suppose kind of like you know, which she's obviously getting very good deals with because she's a very good friend of Rick's. Can I, get, can, I, can I get just a little bit of lace to cover my breasts? <laughs> She's probably taking it to kind of like back street sewing <laughs> people who are kind of like whipping up these costumes. I'm just saying it's like... <laughs> Some of these things she's actually wearing the wrong way around. Like that's, that's the, also, that's not the front. Oh, so embarrassing. I mean, she's one of... 100 uh, American contacts in 350,000 yeah, yeah, American yeah. citizens <laughs> that we never see. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're there, <laughs> bustling around. But they're there somewhere, um, selling her lace. It's time for Mary Fuck Kill for Casablanca. Chris, will you present our candidates to us? Yes, I think because uh, there was a lot of talk about Ilsa not being a particularly well-rounded character, I want to uh, suggest the marry fuck kill between the three main guys in the film. So I want to know if you would marry fuck kill between uh, Rick, Laszlo and Renault. 
I'll leave I'll, it in. Leave I'm gonna. It th- in. I'll, I'll, I'll think. I'm gonna think aloud a little bit. I was thinking that with Laszlo, I'd feel bad to kill him because he's doing such great work. But I think to be married to him would be a like. I'd wake up every day and look at him and go like, I haven't done shit. And that would make me feel bad. <laughs> but then I would also maybe have to help him a lot. And I feel like his work is, you know, as much as I think it's so noble, you know me. Like, I'm not really meant to do noble work because I'm not really meant to do work. I'm really someone who likes the finer <laughs> things in life. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like the life that I'd have to lead with him would be, like, good and noble and we never have nice things because we'd be helping people all the time. And that's great for some people, but that's just not me, right? <laughs> so that's was a tough one for me. And then I'm thinking, right, no, like, I'd have a great, we'd banter a lot be really fun, except that I'd have to, like, to marry him would be to marry someone who's, you know, willing to, like, cozy up to the Nazis, you know, yeah, has a... Yeah, feel bad in the end. I'd feel shit, right? And then, Maybe not today. And, Maybe and, not tomorrow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but too. Yeah. And for the rest of your life. <laughs> and then we've got Rick, who's just this walking ball of psychoses. <laughs> and, like, yeah, I think I'd like to fuck him, but, I mean, I think I know I would, but it just seems like of the three options, maybe I should marry him. But then I'm thinking, I don't know, man. I mean, like, do I want to be a barmaid? Like, <laughs> I just, again, I don't think it's in my character to be the wife of someone like Rick, right? Like, to kind of have to be like, oh, hey, oh, my God, the regular table. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I just, I think. It's I, a Harry Nazelli. Would you want to be married to a bartender for the yeah, rest exactly, of your life? Exactly. <laughs> So you, so you see, it's just a... That's fine. It's, well, you know... Um, you need to watch that movie again, but yes. I mean, I'd rather be married to a bartender than a missionary. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to let everybody know. That's just how I feel. Um, so yeah, you see... There's no missionary in the movie. That was just you. Laszlo <laughs> might be... Laszlo's kind of a missionary for freedom. You know, like, I just feel like if I, if I was still in my pajamas at 11, he, he would never say anything directly and he'd love me. <laughs> he'd be but, like, but, he, but he'd be like... There would be are judgment you, there. They'd be like, darling, are you sick? No. Mm. Oh, okay. Well, you uh, can just spend as long in bed as you want. <laughs> and, and you should. Fine. And you should. It's always, it's always important to rest. Don't you want to rest? Oh, no, darling, I couldn't rest. I have to go save 16 <laughs> refugees before breakfast. I have to say, marry Rick, mm. fuck Laszlo, kill Reno. Oof, but this was, that was tough. Oh. I don't feel, I, I feel ill. <laughs> I think, okay, I'm marrying Laszlo. Okay. Because in my heart, I have always felt a kinship with Grace Kelly. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm a fairy. I will give up my acting career to be Princess of mm-hmm. Monaco. Uh, similarly, I will give up my love of Rick to become the First Lady of Czechoslovakia. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. This feels very much like me. I can bob my hair. Yes, you can. I can. I can put on the jewels. I can do all the things. It would suit you so well. <laughs> it will. I, I, I will do it. And uh, I don't know if I fuck Rick because it is true that underneath his tuxedo, he is wearing another tuxedo. Whereas no one said that was bad. Though. No. But with <laughs> with Renault, I feel like it is very unconcerned with the woman's pleasure. Mm-hmm. So I'm not necessarily. You know, very excited about that. But with Laszlo, it's like he's been through so much. You know, he's tired. Yeah. You know, he came from a concentration camp somehow to Casablanca. Yeah. That's a long fucking journey. Yeah. He's tired. I think he would really 
go that extra mile. I think Laszlo would be a very generous. I father. think so. Even <laughs> I would really rather Renault and like I have that memory for a while. Right. Like I can do what I want with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but one point really important, which is that we never get to see him without that belt on. <laughs> and, and I just feel like that is so constricting. Like every time I saw him, I was like, poor man is like in a corset. I think that when that belt is off, Renault. Ray, yes, you know, like, <laughs> you've never seen the French police get in so hard. You know what I mean? What, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna fuck Reno and kill Rick? Um, my husband? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think Rick would be a good fuck. Like, I really just don't. I, I feel like I think he'd be a good cuddle, love. You think? I think in a no, way. No, because he's so stiff. I think it'd be like cuddling an ironing board. That's mm. it. It's also this thing with Rick. It's about kind of like breaking down the the sort of all of the the kind of like the shield of what makes Rick kind of mm. like who he is. And so when you break through that, and you see a little bit of that in the kind of like the car riding scene where maybe he <laughs> sort of like he he doesn't look seventy four. He looks kind of uh, yeah. He looks like maybe fifty nine. Kind of like, you know, yeah, looks... So like you know mid fifties. Honestly, yeah. Like... yeah. If, if a day. <laughs> no, the problem with Rick is like, yeah, he'd be really stiff, and you like you'd have to break him down, and it would be a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And I feel like after like six hours of conversation, you could get him to put like a like a soft arm around you. Yeah. Like this is this is what he would allow. So Renault, I mean, despite being the kind of horrible oh, wait, no, sexual mean, predator that he is. I didn't mean Renault. Wait, I've already married Laszlo. Oh God, I've really forgotten. <laughs> this, is, this is like 30 minutes of me being like, which one is which? Okay. This is gold. I think this is I've married Laszlo. <laughs> Fuck Renault for the memories. Mm -hmm. And Rick would do nothing for me because I feel like Rick is very mechanical and like very like... Bumpy? I think Rick's pretty sensual when it comes down to it. That would be my Where do you thing. get that from? That's your imagination, Chris. No, I mean, you just, want that. You want I mean, that to maybe be. Maybe I want him to be. I think all these, uh, you know, taking into account your answers slightly. No, um, you can't take into account our answers. Well, they have to. It has to be your love. In which case, I am gonna marry <laughs> Renault because I think we can have a lot of fun together. Yeah, you would. <laughs> you would You're yeah. just pure chaos, and it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I'm marrying Renault. Um, I would uh, fuck Laszlo because I think out of the three of them, I think he's actually the uh, the the best lover, the best fuck. Uh, I would marry Renault, fuck Laszlo, and kill Rick. Wow. So why would you kill Rick though? Like, why? explain that. Just a process of elimination. I don't want to marry or fuck him, so uh, he's wow. the one who I have to kill. I oh, that almost frightened me, Chris. It was very. Like, because there's no other option for him. You know, like, it felt, it felt like... That's literally the game. I know, but we never would have said it like that. You don't <laughs> say that. Like that you just the... know that. Actually, what am I talking about? Guys. I'd marry Rick. I'd absolutely marry Rick because yeah, I want to... Yeah! I want to run the bar with Rick. I wanna, yeah, uh, like, I, I want Rick's bar. I want his... Oh, yeah, like, and you know what? You'd have a great time. Like, I do feel like Chris would be a better Rick. A you know, it's like he's Rick without the emotional complications. <laughs> I've got the emotional complications. I mean, he's going through some shit. Yeah, like. the way you said that, Chris, like, a better Rick, it was like, how? How could that be possible? <laughs>
Does such a thing exist? No, but it's just like, I feel like Chris would rub the bar. He'd have, like, his, you know, love affairs on the side. Yeah. And he'd just be like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is this is what the bar is, you know? Yeah. Just take it or leave it. And, like, you know, so my girlfriend would come in and he'd be like, sorry, I don't have any papers. And she'd be like, okay, bye. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, yeah. That's it. And then there's no movie. That was this week's episode of We'll Always Have Paris. Thanks for joining us, and come back next week for our discussion of Les Miserables, and in particular, why Cosette is a big cup of nothing. <laughs>